This morning, it's, it's, not, this, it's not a huge revelation word that Paul, but we're going to finish up this idea when he's, when, as he's speaking to the households of Colossae. And again, remember, Paul starts out chapter 3 with um, this idea of if you've been raised with Christ, then this is kind of how it looks. This is kind of the way it's supposed to flesh itself out in the everyday. And so he spoke to wives, and he spoke to husbands, and he spoke to kids, and then he spoke to parents, but in particular, he spoke to dads. And now he's going to go into a, a new demographic that would be very common back in this day in the average home. And so we're just going to get right into the word. Colossians chapter 3. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. So let me take a minute and pray. God, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you that that you've caused it to be written. Thank you that you have preserved it through thousands of years for us to engage and to understand who you are as you reveal yourself to us. Lord, I know that people come into this room in different places on their spiritual journey. I pray, God, that you would speak to each person right where they are this morning. Lord, I ask you that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Paul is talking to the slave. Now, you might say, what in the world does this have to do with us today? In order for us to make any sense of these few verses, we have to have a proper social and cultural understanding of slavery in Paul's day. And I know that just sounds really strange and really weird that we would have to have this understanding of of, of what slavery is. But we have to come at it from a biblical perspective. Now, if you were to search the Bible cover to cover, you would not find one single verse that condemns the institution of slavery. Nowhere in the Bible does it condemn slavery. It will speak to certain forms of slavery, and it will condemn those certain forms. But as a general institution, the Bible does not condemn it. And the reason for us that it brings such a a negative uh, feel and connotation is because of, of our experience in America with slavery. It wasn't one of our shining moments. We have a very specific cultural and social perspective for the way it kind of fleshed itself out early in our history. Remember that Africans were kidnapped from their homes, from their villages, from their countries. They were put on a boat against their will. They, were, they traveled to America. When they came off the boat, they were sold as property to do the work of the colonists or, or the colonialists that didn't want to do the work. They were, they were withheld just basic fundamental human rights. They were treated as livestock. 
And that form of slavery is 100% evil. There is nothing good, there is nothing redeeming about that at all. And that's our cultural perspective when we talk about slavery here in America. And the Bible will condemn that kind of slavery. Exodus, uh, Exodus 21 says, Whoever steals a man and whoever possesses that man shall be put to death. What, it, what it's saying, in essence, is if you kidnap somebody and sell them to, into slavery, you are to be put to death. And the person that bought that person is also to be put to death. So the Bible condemns, condemns the form of slavery that took place in America. But what Paul is going to speak to is something, it's something a little bit different. Because in Paul's day... A slave, you couldn't tell a person who was a slave by the way they dressed, by the way they looked, by their race, or by their ethnicity. It wasn't a reliable indicator of their social or their legal status. The cultural traditions and the religious traditions of the slave were the same as whoever, whatever part, whatever family they belonged to, which was very different from America. And for the Africans that that suffered here. In Paul's day, slaves were educated. In fact, it was encouraged that if you owned slaves, you would educate them. And some of them became better educated than their owners. And when they were better educated, they actually rose to prominence in, in society. Remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. He was number two to Pharaoh. No one but Pharaoh was over him in Egypt. Joseph was a slave. Daniel was number two to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel was a slave, but he rose to prominence. Some, some slaves would become very trusted parts of the family as a personal secretaries, as personal assistants to people who were, who were um, high in government places. Some would become sea captains, which was a big deal in those days. Some even studied and became doctors. This is slavery in Paul's day. In fact, many slaves held higher social positions and standings than people who would consider themselves to be free. They were not at the bottom of the socioeconomic pyramid. The day labor was at the bottom. That person who had to get up every morning, stand on the corner, and wait to be hired to earn a day's pay. Those were the bottom. Not so with the slaves. Now, a slave in Paul's day could own property. And not only could they own property, they can own their own slaves. And so somebody that was considered a slave in first century, could own property and own their own slaves. They, could, they, were, they would get paid. They'd get paid money. They could accumulate money. They can save money. They could have families. And, and most and many, by the time they were 30, there was this uh, social, um, some type of uh, procedure that they could go through. So by the time they were 30 years old, if they desired, they could free themselves. This is slavery in the first century. It's something that's, that's very different from what we 
our experience in America is or, or was. Now, unfortunately, in our culture, in early America, they actually used the Bible to condone this idea of slavery. They said, look, slaves are in the Bible. But they had a complete perversion of what it meant to be a slave in the Mideast in the first century. And that's why the, the horrific atrocities against the Africans took place here in America. So it's from this perspective that Paul is going to write to the households in, in Colossae, to the church. And so notice that he's writing to these people who are considered slaves. They are gathered with the church. They are gathered with the church community. They are being treated as contributing, responsible people, not only within the church community, but also within society. And Paul is asking them, he's telling them, that they should live by a certain rhythm of transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit in them. He is speaking into a cultural and social institution. He's not really condoning it anywhere in his writing, but he realizes that it's there and it's taking place, and he is speaking to the slaves. He will speak to the masters that if you have been raised with Christ, then this is what it's supposed to look like. This is how it's supposed to play itself out. He calls them, just like he calls the children, to be obedient to be obedient in the context of the authority structure that you, you have come under. To do your work. To do what is asked of you. As a slave, you were required to work. That's what it was all about. And you could have been easily paid for that work. But Paul is saying, when you, when you enter into this work, that you are to be obedient. Submit to the master who has asked you to do what he's asked you to do. Now he makes two points in the context of this obedience. He says that you would do it with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Sincerity of heart, not just doing it while you're being watched, not to curry favor. So so what he's asking them to do is, listen, do your work, do it well, not just to make yourself look good, not just to climb the totem pole. In the original language, it's don't be just a people pleaser. And then when all bets are off, when nobody's watching you anymore, then you revert to your old slacker self and you just don't care anymore. Paul is speaking to the integrity and the character of a person. The idea of sincerity of heart has, means this, this single-mindedness in your work ethic. That you will do and you will work hard when people are watching you. And you will work equally as hard when there is no one watching you. Sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. We can say fear of the Lord. That the slave would go about their, their work remembering that they have a master that's not here, ultimately, they have a master not on earth, but one in heaven. And this master sees everything that they're doing, whether or not they're being watched or not. And this master knows their hearts. Fear of the Lord is this, this combination of an appropriate um, awe of the presence of God in your life and that a, a heart and a soul that will surrender to his will to, to do your work with reverence to the Lord, to do your work with sincerity of heart. 
And look what he says in uh, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. The word heart here could be interchangeable with the word soul. So the force behind this whole thing is, okay, if you are now a slave and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that you would have a different focus than before you followed Christ. That, that, that within you, everything that's of you, your entire, your entire life force would be put into your work. In today's day, we would say that you would put your whole heart into it. Everything that you are, you, you would do the best job you can possibly can. The slave was called to be passionate about the work that they're doing. Not only, not only when people are watching... But when no one is watching, to have a passion about it, to not only to do a good job, but the very best job that they can do, to do their best. And the reason behind that attitude is because, again, ultimately, they serve a higher master. They serve the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And yes, they have a master on earth, but they also have a master in heaven. And that master not only sees your work, but he also sees the motivations of your heart. And the motivation behind what's in your heart, I would say, is even more important than the deeds that you're doing. Because what comes out of the heart finds its way into the way we live our lives. And so he's telling them, just don't do a good job to look good so you get rewarded, so your master thinks you're great. I mean, that's a very different attitude than doing a good job because ultimately you know you are serving Jesus. And that's what he's speaking to, to these slaves. He'll continue on. Since you know, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, the reality of it is, most slaves would not come into some type of inheritance. They weren't going to make tons of money. They weren't going to rise to those high, prominent positions of, you know, of the Daniels and of, uh, of Joseph. They were going to be regular people. And they were going to have a family. And they were going to try to work hard. And they wanted to support their family. And they wanted to do right by their kids. And they were just in it in the day-to-day grind. They weren't going to make it to the top. But Paul is telling them, listen, you don't even have to worry about any of that. Because you do have an inheritance. You do have one. And it's inheritance that's been keen. That it's with God being kept safe in Jesus Christ. And it will not perish. It will not spoil. And it will never fade. Because it's not of this earth. It's in heaven. Prepared for you. Kept safe for you. Paul wants them to focus on not just what's going on here on the earth. But focus ultimately to where one day they will be with Christ. And they will have that inheritance. Verse 25, he says, Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. There is no favoritism. I think what's being communicated in this context is 
this, this person, this slave, has to understand that even though Christ is their ultimate master, they don't get a pass on the consequence for doing, doing shoddy work. They don't get a pass on just going through the motions. They don't just get a pass. They will, they, there will be consequences possibly to them being a slacker. And that they, even though they have this, they have this um, heavenly master that they answer to, they still are responsible for the responsibilities here on earth, for their obligations here on earth. They're to work hard and they're to come up with, they're to be passionate about it. It's a sincerity of heart. It's reverence to the Lord. Just because Jesus is your master doesn't mean that you can disrespect your earthly master. Paul says, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. God doesn't show favoritism. There is no favoritism. And then he speaks briefly to the masters. Provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. That's pretty straightforward. Masters, treat your slaves with respect and with dignity and with justice and be fair and understand that their master is also your master. And God doesn't show favoritism. Well, so what? We've just learned about slaves and master relationship in the first century Middle East. What does that have to got to do with the price of apples in February? Actually, it'd be nice if it was February because it's a little bit warm up here. Here's the truth. Everyone, everyone and everything is confined to another being or some type of principle. And that's, that's just the truth. No one can escape from being in some form of, and I hate to use this word, but enslavement. There is no one that is completely autonomous in the way that they live their life. No one can walk in complete independence from everything and everybody. And if you look at it from an eternal perspective, the Bible says that we are either a slave to sin or we are a slave to Christ. And so we are all caught up in this idea of of being accountable to someone, something, some principles here on earth. Now, I would probably venture a guess that within our community here, there is no one that is independently wealthy. We don't have many millionaires here. We don't have a lot of people that come from old money and that don't have to work and they can just kind of lounge around and, and do nothing. At least you haven't started tithing on that old money yet. All right. So, so, so I'm going to venture the guess that we don't have a lot of those types of people here. But what we do have here are a lot of people who work very, very hard to earn a paycheck, to support their families, to save for their retirement, to give away. We have a lot of people that are in the workforce. And so we can take these principles, because I'm sure some of you have felt like a slave to the man trying to keep you down. 
to your job. I know that some of you might not even be in a job that you like. Your boss is a jerk and the company is a jerk. And and, and I get that. And so we can take these principles and we can bring them into 2013 and we can actually learn something from it. See, if you've been raised with Christ, then as you head out the door every morning, as you punch that time clock, or if you, if you work from home, or if you're a mom who works at home, working for her family, that's just as much a job than, than any time clock out of the door job. If you work, if you work, if you work, then this is what it should look like. If you've been raised with Christ, if Christ is transforming you by the power of the Holy Spirit, then this is what it should begin to look like. You're to do your work wholeheartedly with a single-mindedness of your work ethic. That you would, that you would do whatever you're asked to do, as long as it's, it's not immoral, unethical. That you would do whatever your boss would ask you to do. And that you would do it well, just like you're serving Jesus. And yes, you, you are going to get your performance review from your boss. But ultimately, you answer to Christ for the way that you live your life here. And no matter where you work, no matter what you do, you do not have to be intimidated by any type of office politics that take place. You don't have to worry about backbiting. You don't have to worry about what people are saying about you or to you. If you are working to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry about any of that because your master in heaven sees your heart and what you are doing. You are now a slave to Christ he is your master. No matter where you work, no matter what you do, Christ is your master. Don't let yourself be misguided by ulterior motives. Don't, you don't have to be a brown noser to try to get ahead. You don't have to be, try to be some kind of a people pleaser. But do your work with passion. Do your work with sincerity of heart. All of the time, not just when people are watching you, but all of the time with integrity, with character. You see, the way the way you work out there in the workforce, the way you work is directly proportional to your surrender and your pursuit of Jesus Christ. And so if you're just a slacker, then I would guesstimate that you just might be a slacker in your pursuit of Jesus. You don't have to show people up. You don't have to be the one that gets all the attention. And so if you are working to serve Christ, then the the whole divide between secular and sacred just goes away because everything becomes sacred because we answer to Christ in the first place. There is nothing that's secular anymore. No matter what you do, it's all for the glory of Christ. It's all for the glory of Jesus. It all comes under his lordship. And you know, doing a good job, working hard, putting in the late hours, going the extra mile, it just may not get you the raise or the promotion. It just may not get you the recognition that you had hoped for. In fact, somebody just might come and steal your thunder. Somebody might come and take the credit 
You don't have to worry about it because you and your heart serves Christ and Christ alone. You know, your coworkers might not march into your office one day and pick you up on their shoulders and parade around the office with you singing your praise. I mean, has anybody here ever had that experience? No? It just doesn't happen in our day and age. But that's okay. Because let me tell you something. You have an inheritance stored up for you in the heavenly realm, kept safe by Jesus Christ. This is what Paul writes in Corinthians 5. He writes that in the end, in the end, when you stand before the judgment seat and you look into the face of Jesus Christ himself, you will be rewarded for the things that you have done here on earth. You will be rewarded for the things that no one has ever seen you do. No one has those things that you didn't take credit for, that you did behind the scenes. Jesus sees those things. And when you stand before him, you will be rewarded. 2 Corinthians 5. And now, let's talk to the masters. Maybe we could say the bosses. And I know we have people that are bosses here. I know we have people here that, that are managers and they manage people. You are called as a follower of Jesus as you pursue Christ, allowing your management skills to change. You don't manage by manipulation. You don't manage by being demeaning. You don't manage by being threatening. You show respect and you show the same sincerity of heart. You show goodwill. You show love. And yes, sometimes I get it, man. You, you, gotta, you have to be strong and you have to come against some people and you have to discipline. But you can do it in such a way that isn't demeaning, isn't manipulative, isn't threatening. You can be tough and still be respectful and just and right. Because ultimately, ultimately, we are all worker bees. And we all answer to someone. And if you own the company and you're at the top of the totem pole, you still answer to Christ. And remember, as a Christ follower, it doesn't matter where you are on that totem pole. God does not play favorites. God is completely impartial. And so if you're the CEO, that does not give you an advantage over the person working in the mailroom. Because the cross levels the playing fields. The cross levels the playing field and the CEO and the guy or the lady in the mailroom will stand before the Lord and witness the glory of God. He doesn't get the corner office in heaven. We all get the mansion. There are no special deals that you can work out with God. And so you see, how you do your work out there, wherever it is, how you do your work is related, contingent upon your pursuits of Jesus Christ. 
Now, I'm not saying we're all perfect. We all have our low energy days. We all have our crabby days. This is about a posture of your heart. This is about the posture of your heart. But this is also not about you need to go out there and you got to change your, you got to get a better attitude. You need to, you need to behave more on the job. This is, this is about you changing your focus. This is about you changing your focus and putting it once and for all on Jesus Christ. And when the focus is there, your pursuit of God is there, he begins to change you. That's real lasting change. Trying to change your behavior is tiring. Especially when your boss is a jerk and the company is a jerk and you're not getting paid enough and, and it's just like you just don't like this place anymore. Trying to go in with a good mood, in a good mood every day, trying to change your own behavior is tiring and it's short lived. But your pursuit of Jesus will transform who you are at the very core of who you are, and everything around you begins to change. If you've been raised with Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, wives, Husbands, kids, parents, and now workers. This is what it begins to look like. This is what salvation looks like as it plays out in the everyday. Lord, I want to thank you that we don't have to do it ourselves. I want to thank you, Lord, that we can't do it ourselves, but you can do it in us. And so, Lord, I pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would do it inside of us, that we would be transformed by your power and might and majesty for your glory, for the glory of your kingdom, that we would be people who who not only make a difference in the world, but just are different in the world with humility and love and respect in, in times when, when anger and disrespect would just seem more fitting. Lord, I pray that we would not have to think that we have to protect ourselves and make ourselves look better, but that we can humbly do the things that we've been called to do because we serve a much greater master. In Jesus Christ. We love you. Thank you for the table that we celebrated this morning, for the forgiveness of our sin, and for our, the sanctification of our very hearts and souls and lives. I stand before you in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Have a great rest of your holiday weekend. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.